And we're back at it. I'm Gervier Bra. I'm here with Jamal Karsandu and we are Screen Off Script. This week we're getting into all the major movie and TV news of the week. And we're going to be talking about episode 3 of Loki. Folks, it's showtime. I thought perhaps we could work together. But now I see you lack vision. Oh. So either you'll come willingly. Or you won't. Either way, that's how I get to meet oh, the timekeepers. Shut up! In our first segment, we're talking spoilers for episode 3 of Loki, titled Lamentus. If you want to skip around, we got timestamps in the description, and don't forget to subscribe. So, just to set a little bit of context, we're on Lamentus 1 for this episode, the year is 2077. They're traveling to a dystopian apocalypse that's about to have a moon destroy the planet, and all these rich people are just trying to get off the planet on this arc. Just so what we knew before walking into this episode, they actually filmed the first two episodes before COVID hit. And then they had to go on hiatus once COVID did happen and had to come back in September of 2020. And they had to finish the last four episodes by December. Once they did that, they had a few reshoots in February, but basically they only had about six months of post-production where they would have had an entire year. Right. Did that, like, knowing that now, how does that affect how you thought, what you thought about this episode? Did you notice that at all? A, I didn't know that. B, I think it's seamless. There doesn't seem to be, you know, a massive uh, dip or change in the world that, that we've seen in the first two episodes compared to episode number three. What, what I will say, though, is, my goodness, this episode, the money is on the screen. Yes. I mean, the, the kind of visuals we're getting from Lamentis in terms of the planet, the moon crashing in, meteorites and asteroids hitting the surface of this planet, explosions going off, just the, 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 the production value, the special effects. It's a really grand scale episode, and there were some shots in this um, you know, particular episode that I thought, wow, I, I would have probably only have seen that in the movies. Yeah. Right? Especially, and I know we're going to get into it in a bit, but like uh, the final few minutes where it's literally just a single shot of, of Loki and Sylvie escaping the guards and trying to figure out a way to get on this arc, that whole scene, the way it was shot was absolutely tremendous. And, and who knows, maybe they took advantage of the fact that the volume that was used... Um, I guess for the majority of the Mandalorian was available to them. Uh, so when they started to get back up and going after COVID, uh, protocols were in place uh, for production. They maybe thought, you know what? We guys should use this for this particular scene. Yeah. It looked fantastic. Absolutely. This was, for me, maybe the most aesthetically pleasing episode that we've seen so far. The visuals were so high level. Uh, just the scene where they're, I think, again, for, based on the director that we have, uh, Kate Heron, who directed Sex Education, she basically has this ability to weave in just beautiful cinematography into her storytelling. So it, it, this is what we saw using such a grand scale of this brand new planet that we've never been on. So we got to go live in this brand new world and it was explored so beautifully, right? Like when we go on other planets in the MCU, I don't think we've never really gotten a chance to just live in a planet the same way we did for this episode. Yeah. That's kind of what I love about this format too. Yeah, the because, whole episode was on, on Lamentis. Yeah, it was all on Lamentis, but the big thing is for me that we got to kind of chill on this island and get to explore it the same way they did. Yeah. As opposed to a lot of the other MCU movies where, you know, a lot of stuff happens on this planet, then they move to this planet, then they move to this planet, if it is one of those galactic franchises that they have. But for this one, we got to live on this planet that really reminded me of uh, an N64 game called The Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask, where the same thing happens. A moon is crashing into the world, and it was very reminiscent of that, very reminiscent of the same color schemes, the purples that were used. Beautiful. So well done. Again, the volume uh, that they used for The Mandalorian, the technology of basically having, uh, a, instead of just having CGI and green screens, they create the reality that these characters are really living in, letting them kind of actually act without having to worry about what cues they're going to hit or where they're that they're blocking is like without having to deal with that they they got to actually have conversations and dialogue that felt natural in the actual show yeah this episode for me gave me vibes of doctor who yeah. and i know i guess a lot of 
people might be more familiar with the Doctor Who episodes from the 2000s. For me, this reminded me of the Doctor Who episodes from like the 80s and the 90s. So many sensibilities um, on screen there from the, the characters and the enemies and just like their their masks and their kind of security guard outfits and like the train and just yeah. everything kind of looked like very Doctor Who-ish uh, to me. Yeah, this show feels like the full capability of what the MCU can do as far as storytelling abilities because they finally get, like I said, like you mentioned, sorry, the, the uh, Doctor Who, the Twilight Zone experience, like that whole influence that it has on this show, but let's add millions of dollars in terms of the budget. Yeah. Let's add the best storytellers that we can find. Everything that you would want to be able to exploit, that's what the MCU is really giving these creators and giving them that ability to do. As long as they stay in the parameters of the MCU storytelling, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. That's what I love about this. And it was it was also very interesting that there was no Owen Wilson mm-hmm. in this episode. It, there was no Mobius whatsoever. Yep. This episode was purely driven by Loki and the other Loki who has now named herself Sylvie. So that's good. Now we know how who we're talking about and yes. we don't have to kind of uh, uh, strip over our tongues or figure out how best to describe this in an audio-only podcast. Yeah. But this whole episode is all about Loki and Sylvie and them interacting with each other, getting to know a little bit more about each other's past and history. We find out a few bits and pieces about Sylvie and her sensibilities, her characteristics and what she's all about. Uh, we see both of them use their powers uh, more so than any other episode so far uh, on this show. And b- by the end of it, I feel like there's almost um, some sort of like bond between the two where there's still probably a, a level of mistrust on both sides because they are both Lokis at the end of the day. Um, but it was really one of those episodes where it forged some sort of relationship between these two. And it's interesting now where we go from here because obviously the big revelation from this episode is the fact that Sylvie reveals to Loki that every single member of the TVA are former variants yeah. uh, that shocked Loki and you got to feel like at some point they're going to reveal this information to Mobius and the others and kind of like almost break this reality that they're living in um, because obviously I think it's clear at this stage that the timekeepers are the real villains of this show. Yeah, it feels like when we, uh, same way when we were watching WandaVision and we're sitting there thinking, okay, cool. Who's going to be the real villain? Who's going to be the real villain? We had been exposed to the idea of this Sylvie, or before we knew who Sylvie was, this variant, and we didn't know if she, like, we assumed that she's going to be the villain of the show. But now our perception is being changed again, and that's what I love about these MCU shows. But yeah, so this new Sylvie, or this new Loki, is played by Sofia Martino, and again, these Lokis already have such great chemistry. That's one thing I definitely want to talk about. It feels like, it, it, one thing I love is that they have two British actors that get to play against each other. There's not two people that are uh, faking an accent or doing this or that. Like They just get two people who just have tremendous chemistry and they get to exchange back and forth. What is it about Asgardians that have to be mostly British? Apart from Rene Rousseau, everybody else is like you know, you know British in terms of um, you know, Idris Elba, yeah. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. It's like I love that. I think it's great. It makes me chuckle. It makes me smile. Yeah, I love it. It, it, it. I love the idea that they get to play off their real life sensibilities and their comedic timing is more understood against each other. But yeah, so one thing I definitely want to talk about first is Sylvie immediately says, "Don't call me a Loki. Don't call me a variant." She obviously is resentful of the idea of being called a Loki. You don't even know how to recharge it. Of course I do. Not the only tech-savvy Loki. Don't ever call me that. Tech-savvy? No, a Loki. I have a lot of questions why that is. I, obviously, we don't know yet. There have been other variants for, for Loki that have been caught by the TVA. So maybe it has something to do with that where she doesn't want to fall into the idea of, I'm just another one of those. It could be something like that, but we really don't know so far. The other thing I got from the first like third of this episode, I kept thinking, well, these two Lokis keep interacting in a certain way that kept feeling like there's a romantic vibe that's happening between them. And obviously that's a little weird at first, but I, I don't, I, that's the initial impression that I got from this episode. Yeah, I mean, there's clearly moments where there's, I feel like there's some sexual tension uh, between the two. Yeah. And obviously throughout the course of the episode, they talk about past relationships. They talk about love and what love means. Loki's example of what love is using the dagger I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you look at it, like they're, they're talking about, like, I have a lot of working theories when it comes to this 
idea of romance that they introduced in this episode. The first thing is she obviously tries to create this chaos with the TVA for a specific reason. I saw it as her using it as a distraction so that she can get back to something or get to something. Because obviously our Loki wants an audience with the timekeepers because he's trying to uh, basically exist. He wants to continue to exist once his mission is done. Same thing with her. Once she gets a chance to either speak with or confront the timekeepers, she obviously won something. When this whole foundation that's been laid in this episode, like you mentioned, that dagger example from uh, Loki, where he says, Love is a dagger. It's a weapon to be wielded far away or up close. You can see yourself in it. It's beautiful until it makes you bleed. But ultimately, when you reach for it, it isn't real. So it makes me think that, number one, our Loki has been burned in the past. But number two, our Sylvie is somebody who wants to get back to a place where she can get back to whatever her love is. I think the... First off, my, like, what do you think of that just in general? Do you think she is somebody that is going to be trying to get back to like a, that place or whoever her love is? I'm all in on that theory because I feel like the timekeepers are the villains here, right? And so they create this sacred timeline. If she's obviously a, a variant from a, a branching, a branched off timeline where she's found love, like obviously she's going to be mad and that's why she's going to be so motivated to destroy the TVA and you know, get to the timekeepers. But I hate this idea that the sacred timeline is that's all the be all and end all of mm -hmm. everyone. Like you have no control, right? Everything is fated and it's going to be, it is the way it is. Um, and that's not how life should be, right? Yeah. Like the fact that we have control over what we do and what we say and, and who we are as, as people, that should mean something. That should have significance. Whereas in the world of the MCU, according to you know this show Loki and what the the timekeepers and the TVA represents, their sacred timeline is what the true quote unquote timeline should be. And um, and yeah, anyone else that is what they classify as a variant. Maybe they could have branched out because of free will, found love, yeah. and they, of course, would be, you know, really motivated to make sure they can get back to their timeline, get back to their loved ones, yeah. but also in this case of Sylvie, destroy the timekeepers. One thing we still don't know about, by the way, which was not answered at all in this episode. At the end of episode two, we see all these tempads, essentially that these time bombs go off. We don't know. Where, well, we kind of know. A little bit about where and when but we don't know the significance of what timelines they've disrupted yeah. we know that we saw the graphic at the end of episode two where we see all these branched off kind of you know, you know branched off timelines hitting almost the nexus level and we find out like a list of basically a bunch yeah. of different places that we're familiar with vormir was in there like new york is in there tokyo's in there yes uh, one working theory i've seen a lot of people talk about is maybe those that list that we see there it could be going into the what if episodes because that's interesting very okay. much about what we've been talking about is all right well what if feels like a very like a like something that's not really existing in the mcu but it's like a sh offshoot of like what could be fun episodes but if you want to give those episodes stake this this uh that past episode just gave us a whole bunch of stake of seeing all these alternate realities which could possibly have implications in the future yeah but that, that's that's one of the biggest unanswered questions so far is where did sylvie set all these time bombs off yep. to um but yeah bringing it full circle and, and basically answering your question i feel like you know if sylvie's got a love that she has now been ripped apart from in her you know in her timeline in the reality she's from that would be all the motivation her character needs to yeah. do what she's doing right now. My thought process is that Sylvie's motivation has to be love. Like, that's what they were laying as foundation in this entire episode. One thing is that they, the last song that they really had released in the end credits was a song called Dark Moon by Bonnie Guitar. And just, I'll give you a little bit of the lyrics. And I feel like they really apply and they're kind of foreshadowing what it has happened and what's about to happen in this, in this uh, show so far. So it starts with Dark Moon. Away, up high in the sky, oh tell me why, oh tell me why, you've lost your splendor. Our Sylvie's hurt, our Sylvie's damaged. Dark moon, what is the cause your light withdraws? Is it because, is it because I've lost my love? Mortals have dreams of, of love's perfect schemes, 
but they don't realize that love will sometimes bring a dark moon. Right. Obviously, literally, we're talking about the moon crashing into the planet. Right. But at the same time, we're talking about the fact that Sylvie was somebody who, like, she jokes about the idea that, you know, she's been in relationships and she's fighting. Like, she's like she, she kind of just shrugs it off a little bit. But I think the timekeepers are these tyrants that are basically, they get to choose which realities kind of stick around. And because of that, they get rid of anything that isn't part of their plan. And that isn't a great explanation for somebody like Sylvie, who might have been somebody from this branch reality, found love or finally got to experience love in this reality where she found somebody or something that made her feel like life was worth living. And then once those timekeepers got rid of that, that is not a satisfying conclusion for somebody like a god of mischief like Sylvie. So if she's capable of actually going into this sacred timeline and destroying it from within that's something that she's gonna do yeah and i love that as a motivation and it automatically makes me care about sylvie even if it's just a theory and i'm really glad that you brought up the song at the end of this episode because it has made me uh realize and remember how much i enjoyed the music overall in this episode i feel yes. like uh, the songs that they chose like even just the the opening marvel uh intro uh, visual like the song there the, the 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 score throughout i just really for some reason more so than any other episode i just really dug the music in this episode and also can i just say every time the low-key theme drops at the beginning of these episodes where it kind of kicks into gear i just find myself bopping my head yeah like i'm really enjoying this low-key theme man yeah i love that and i know it's becoming very iconic and i think down the line when we do have an episode when loki gets reintroduced into the movies when that music plays, people are going to have this expectation. Once he shows up on screen, a huge pop is going to happen. Yeah. I can't wait till that happens. Another revelation that we have for Loki is that Loki's bi. Right. They talk about how he's been with princes and princesses or whatever it was. And it's just a very subtle reference. And I think it was like perfectly executed as number one, laying a foundation again that romance is important to Loki. But number two, that it was a very casual way to champion sexuality and just able to exist without making it a overtly important part of the story. It doesn't really have to be because that's not really the story that they're telling. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of glad it was a kind of throwaway line in the conversation between these two because yeah. like if if the whole episode was about a character sexual orientation, it would have been a bit too much trying to bang you over the head with it. Yeah. And it's like we're trying to make a point with this episode that we are pro LGBTQ and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. It's like no, it's just like you know what? Our characters are who they are, and you know, in this case, we find out that Loki's by cool, great, whatever. Let's move on. Even like the idea, he's a, he's a shape shifting alien, like right. Being bi or pansexual is entirely logical. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like it's the way they handled it in terms of just the dialogue. Yeah. In a, like you said, in a very subtle way, while they're having a conversation about love and everything else, I thought you know to talk about hedonism as well. It's like you know, great, fantastic. Yeah. That was my next point. So our, our Loki is. Uh, they talk about how they're both hedonistic. Loki has this moment where, with the alcohol, where he's drinking, even though they're on a mission that's very important, he has this self-destructive streak that we've seen time and time again, where even though he's a villain, we see this flaw in him that makes us sympathetic towards our guy. It's funny though, because Sylvie, we would imagine, or you know, we can theorize, is also from her version of Asgard. The Asgard that we've you know, grown to know and love, right? involves Thor and Loki going on all these battles and wars and just drinking and, and celebrating their victories with yeah. beer. So it makes absolute all sense in the world. Like we've seen in, in Thor's representation in his movies where he's got a chug of beer, it makes absolute sense that Loki's, as soon as he sees some alcohol, he's getting absolutely smashed off his face. Listen, the crazy thing is we don't even know if she's Asgardian in the first place. True. She could live in a different reality where Asgard wasn't the place where she ended up. Yeah, maybe it's a different... I mean, they did talk about you know how they both um, had different relationships with their parents. Yeah. And, you know, her mum passed away when she was very, very young. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the fact that she's got obviously some semblance she, of she has outfit. the Asgardian leather yeah. so she might like that might be a, a like some sort of like a clue that she was there but, but more to the know. point we still don't know so much about Sylvie's past and where mm -hmm. she comes from and, and who knows maybe in the context of the next three episodes or maybe in the future maybe those are the answers that we're going to get uh, at some point down the road yeah the interesting thing also is that this show started off as basically a buddy cop show where we had Loki and Mobius and they were just this lovable duo and now we have the other side of that where it's Loki and Sylvie 
where they're basically two criminals that we get to see kind of cooperating and you know unwillingly they're they're just kind of jammed together so those are two different sides of the same kind of genre and we finally get to see this whole new duo and now i'm starting to think which duo do i even like more which duo am i going to end up liking the most by the end is is the biggest question that i have man it's, it's a tough question but I love Owen Wilson so much, and mm. just given what we've seen in the first two episodes between Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston, the fact that they've got a previous relationship, um, you know, working on a movie together, I, I love what we could potentially get between these two. I feel like there is a more fun, higher ceiling between Mobius and Loki than, than Loki and Sylvie. I feel like, again, if you're right with your theory, and Sylvie's motivation is just to get back to her timeline, get back to her love. That's her kind of character arc done and complete. Whereas with Mobius and Loki, maybe, you know, if they disarm and destroy the, the TVA, where do they go from here? Yeah. You know, one of the things I remember thinking about when I watched this episode is like, if everyone that works for the TVA used to be a regular human being, and these are all variants, is that why Mobius from episode two, when he's reading that magazine, is so fascinated by a jet ski? Are those like suppressed memories yeah. coming to the fore? And that just kind of shows like this guy maybe was taken away from a version of the early 1990s where he was enjoying his, his jet ski. And, and that's why he's talking about that so much. Yeah, it's kind of sad because at first we kept talking about, oh, I hope he gets his moment where he gets to ride a jet ski. And we're thinking, well, maybe they can just go back into like an alternate reality of like one of these apocalypses so they don't affect it. But he, this is probably a memory that he has suppressed in him where he just loves jet skis because that was part of his life. It's probably going to be some tragic memory where he's like jet skiing with his family or something like that and someone dies or something like that. I don't know what it is, but it's probably going to be something really tragic because that's obviously where it, it feels like it's leading to at this point. And like you said, the idea that everyone who works with the TVA are variants, that changes everything for us. Because number one, like we said, we can't trust the TVA anymore. They're manipulating their own agents. And just doing a little bit of research, looking at Ravona Renslayer, everyone was talking about her connections to Kang the Conqueror just going forward. And now it feels even more prevalent that that's going to be very important. Anybody who's not familiar with Kang the Conqueror, uh, he's going to show up, as we know so far, in Ant-Man 3. He isn't somebody who has superhero abilities, but he's a genius He's a historical expert. He's a master physicist who specializes in time travel. So he's kind of like a Tony Stark, Richard Reeds. Doctor Doom, yeah. one of those boys. And the crazy thing about him is he is somebody who uses time travel to travel in the future, get technology that basically is so advanced and so strong that he's able to basically be somebody who's capable of the same kind of superhero abilities somebody like Iron Man has in our reality. Um, uh, he's capable of energy, hologram, and force field projection. He's capable of controlling other forms of technology. He has his time ship. And uh, yeah, he can basically just even do stuff like destroy the moon. Like he has wow. so much abilities going forward. So he's gonna be somebody obviously that's gonna be very important going forward. I was told that everyone who works at the TVA was created by the timekeepers. That's ridiculous. They're all variants, just like us. They don't know that. One of the overarching ideas of this show has been the idea of glorious purpose. And that's what the first episode was called. And it's obviously going to be something that's very important because it's been referenced in every single episode so far. Right. Because in the first episode, Loki talks about his glorious purpose. In the second episode, Mobius talks about Loki's glorious purpose. And now in this one, they mention it again. So it's obviously something that's going to be very important. What is Loki's glorious purpose going forward? What is Sylvie's glorious purpose going forward? Those are going to be very important factors in the future. And before we mention that we're talking about Ant-Man 3, we're talking about uh, the new uh, Spider-Man movies, the director, and sorry, the show creator of this show, Michael Waldron, actually set some massive expectations for Doctor Strange 2. So basically he had an interview recently talking about Sam Raimi and what's going on to that movie. He said Sam Raimi's directing this movie. This guy made Spider-Man 2. Why couldn't this be the best superhero movie ever? Wow. That's high expectations. I mean, that that is. That's really setting it up, isn't it? It's really like, okay, I'm done with Loki. Over to you, Sam, and don't yeah. drop the ball. He's passing the baton, man. Because the thing is, is I've been, I said this last week, this feels like the kind of show where I'm already thinking... Is this the best thing that the MCU has already done? It feels like that's where we're getting into. I feel like, and or rather I hope, that this is going to be almost like a bit of a comeback 
for, for Sam Raimi mm-hmm. because like he ended the Spider-Man franchise with Spider-Man 3 which you know people feel some type of way about that original Spider-Man trilogy but I think universally everyone hates the third one yes and that was his kind of like departure from that universe and for, for him to come back into the world of the MCU and, and get a really really big project to be working on yeah. like I feel like he wants to kind of flex his muscles and, and just show everyone hey listen I can make an incredible superhero movie. Uh, oh, and by the way, I can mix in like five, six, seven, eight different characters from different universes and make it all make sense. I think the the as somebody who was never a huge fan of that Spider-Man franchise, I'm I am very interested because I'm I'm a bigger fan of Sam Raimi than that representation of right. that franchise. So I think in Spider-Man Three, he was so compromised, and Sony has this weird thing where they just keep shoehorning shit into their superhero movies. And they just keep forcing more. Like it's like basically like like uh, what we see these days with social media. Just search engine optimization, and they're just yeah. popping in these SEOs into their fucking movies. Yeah. We need Venom. We need Rhino. We need uh, Electro. Like we just gotta keep pumping in shit into our movies. And it's like, well, why don't we just let these actual franchises breathe in themselves? And now he finally has the ability where he can literally do whatever he wants. Any kind of limitation that you have doesn't exist in a movie where anything can literally happen yeah. in Doctor Strange 2. And I think the coolest thing about these upcoming movies is we don't know anything. We don't know anything. We, like, we kind of know, okay, they're going to be dealing with multiple universes, they're going to be dealing with a multiverse, but which characters are going to get involved? What kind of secret filming has gone on behind the scenes? How is this movie going to end? How long is it going to be? What's the plot? What's the narrative? And how's it all going to tie into what we've seen in these shows mm-hmm. on Disney Plus? Like, man, I am ready for it. I'm so hyped. And like, I'm saying that where there's still three episodes of Loki to go. You know? Yeah. I mean? Not only that, but Tom Hiddleston also had an interview recently where he says to buckle up after episode three. He said this series takes off in a completely new direction in episode three. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. What? So everything that we've gotten so far. You know, at the end of the day, it does feel like it it was laying the... Like, the first episode was purely conceptual. Like, we just want to make sure you understand what the fuck you're watching. This is right. a time travel show. This is an alternate reality show. You need to understand this is what we're working with. Second episode almost was laying the... the con, Like, the, the emotional feeling of why we're doing everything that we're doing. And now, with this episode, we've got this whole new twist. We've The foundation's been laid for the entire series. From here on out, we have three episodes left, and it feels like it's about to take off and just be action-packed going forward. Yeah, if you think about it, we are at the halfway point of Loki, and we've gotten so much. We've got the TVA, Timekeepers, Mobius. We've got Loki, who's still alive, and this version of Loki that we last saw in Endgame knows what happens on that particular timeline. We're seeing an evolution of that particular character in front of our very eyes right now. Um, and we're also getting introduced to a brand new character in Sylvie, a different version of Loki. And we're getting, we're getting into a situation where we're going to different planets. We're going to different timelines. And it's only the halfway point. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre, man. It's absolutely bizarre to me that <laughs> there is still so much more to go. And the fact that Tom Hiddleston is laying up the second half of this series like that. Like, I'm already so happy with where this show is. And it's, if it's going to get even better from here... That just bring on next Wednesday already, you know. hundred percent. I mean? uh, let's get into our categories. We're going into best character. This was a tough one because there's only really two that you're going to choose from, but they're both heavy hitters. Yeah. Do you go with Loki or do you go with Sylvie? I'm going with Loki, and I think this is the third week in a row I've chosen Loki. I, I just feel like Tom Hiddleston is so great as an actor. They gave him some great dialogue in this in this episode as well. Um, yeah, for me, it's Loki. Yeah, I still went with Loki. I don't think you can really like, go away from him. He just Every week he gives us more and more character to explore. It feels like we've known this character for what, like 10 years now? Yeah. And yet I still feel like I'm gaining new perspective on this character every single week. He just owns the screen, man. He's so great. Uh, What about best scene? Oh, this was easy. We talked about it a little bit earlier on. But that final scene, all in one shot, where they are trying to evade the gods. They are getting into fights with the gods. The moon is crashing into the earth. The They're trying to get to the ark, yeah. Is trying to escape. Yeah, well, that whole situ- situation, the fact that it was all done in one shot just blew me away because it's honestly the kind of stuff that you only save 
for the movies. Yeah. To see that in an, an actual episode of Loki, I was like, wow. Like, they actually spent a lot of time and effort. That is not easy to do. There's a little bit of camera trickery here and there. Yeah. And a lot of great work done with special effects and post-production. But just to plan that particular scene and film it, so much work goes into that and they executed it so well. Yeah, incredible visuals. And talk about high stakes. Like, that was the part of the episode where my chest was tight and I was like, holy shit, are they going to make it? Are they going to make it? And they yeah. didn't finally get to the conclusion that they didn't make it. Yeah. And now we're left, just like the first two episodes, just with this lingering feeling of what the fuck. Yeah, we both said that. Yeah. The, the episode ends, we're both like, WTF, like, yeah. what the fuck's going on? Like, no, this can't be the end. I need more right now. What happens next? A part of me always thinks now, like, once we got to that point where he's just standing there, I was like, these motherfuckers are going to leave us right here because I know <laughs> how they do us every week. You know what, honestly, that's a, the, the trademark of a really good show. It's like every episode is a solid page turner yeah. and it keeps you wanting more. And like, you just can't wait until the next episode rolls around. Like literally every single Wednesday is like almost at, at this moment in time, especially while this show is running, it's like my favorite day of the week. Like 100%. I know we're getting a brand new episode and luckily for us, because we're recording a podcast on it, we're actually watching it twice back to back, yeah. which is like even more fun. Yeah. Uh, let's go into star rating. So this is... Either zero being the worst episode you've ever seen, five being the greatest show you've ever seen. Where does this one land? So the first two episodes, retroactively, <laughs> uh, I provided a 4.25 rating. I gave this a four. I gave this a four out of five. I've been giving it a 4.5 consistently. I don't think we saw a dip in quality for this episode, but just in terms of stakes, this didn't feel as big. Uh, so I ended up dropping a little bit too. I went with 4.25 just because I, for the first two episodes, I had a visceral reaction that I really felt from the conclusions of each episode. But for this one, uh, it just didn't match that same level, but that's not to say it's not an incredible episode regardless. Yeah, and, and, I, and I completely concur with you here. And I think it's because the TVA weren't really involved in this mm -hmm. episode. Mobius wasn't involved. Guards weren't really involved. This whole episode was really more about Loki and Sylvie getting to know one another. And even for us as a member of the audience, getting to know Sylvie for the very first time. Yes. This was all about her. This episode was about her, about the two of them, and what happens next. Absolutely. Uh, but that's everything for Loki. I'm so excited for next week. I feel like they just teed it up for a home run next week. Uh, but let's get into the biggest news items of the week. Okay, you got a plan or shall I just stay duck and cover? My plan was to drive us away. Well, your plan sucks. Just to start off, let's keep it on the Marvel tip. Kevin Feige had an interview recently where he said... Uh, and especially coming off the idea that Black Widow's about to come out next month, he said the notion of exploring the past, present, and future of the MCU is certainly in the cards for all of our characters. So he's laying down the foundation that we're going to see more prequels, maybe for established characters, maybe for characters we haven't seen yet. So what's your thought process on that? Okay, so you know how you know Robert Downey Jr. no longer playing Iron Man because he quote-unquote died? Mm-hmm. Um, in Endgame and you know Captain America is kind of moving on with the character of Sam the one thing about Disney is when they own property and when they own characters and then when they have relationships with actors never say never yeah we're getting a fifth Indiana Jones movie we saw a computer digitized version of Luke freaking Skywalker in an episode of The Mandalorian yeah. in season two yeah right so for me, all bets are off. I'm never going to be shocked. If, they say, if, if there's an announcement or if there's a special scene in, in any of the forthcoming projects that involves Downey Jr. returning as Iron Man, I'd be hyped, I'd be excited, and I would not be surprised. Listen, the, on ter in terms of the actual grander Avengers-level movies, I feel like with the idea of exploring the future of these characters, even the ones that we've lost, it feels like with all of this multiverse stuff, it's leading to Secret Wars at some point. And yes. that's where we're going to get reintroduced to our Tony Stark, our original Captain America with Chris Evans, and uh, whoever else we've lost, right? Like, they can reintroduce Red Skull. They can even reintroduce so many people if they really want to. But that's where we're leading to. And I think that's going to be the next Infinity War endgame level uh, movies that we're going to get. Yeah. But if we're talking about character origins and prequels and stuff... I don't know if there's too many characters that I really care about that we haven't already explored, but there are so many characters that we can explore now, especially with introducing X-Men, that we can find, like, we don't have to, 
uh, just shoehorn like a Wolverine into today's uh, today's world. We can actually introduce him in a storyline in like World War II or you know going through the Weapon X program in a prequel series before we get to introducing him into the actual MCU. Yeah. Right. We can introduce Magneto and do an origin story for him entirely by himself, and we don't have to uh, you know deviate from that at all we don't have to but what basically happened with first class is they wanted to tell a magneto story but they the studio basically pivoted and said all right let's just talk about the creation of the x-men instead right and they kind of mashed those together why not just do a magneto story by itself now we can actually do that we have the platform disney plus exists we can do anything they want and i definitely want to co-sign what you said about secret wars because i I agree i feel like that's where you can say hey robert downey jr come back chris evans come back because secret wars essentially you know, utilizes every single major iconic character in uh, the Marvel, um, you know, world in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's also going to require the X Men, though. So we don't. I don't think we get Secret Wars without the introduction of the X Men. Yeah, point. I don't think we're getting Secret Wars. I think that's going to be what, like, the same way we got Avengers One, then we got Ultron, then we got Infinity War and Endgame. We're going to get a few steps before we get to Secret Wars. Yeah, so we This got, chaos is going to exist for a while. 100%. So we basically got uh, Infinity War and Endgame at the end of the third phase. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me as we enter, or we are now in phase four, if we didn't get Secret Wars until, say, phase the end of phase six. six. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we still haven't even been introduced to the X-Men. They still have so many people to introduce. So, uh, yeah, you're right. We have tons of time maybe and, 10 years until we get to that point and secret wars is such an epic co- epic comic book that could easily be a trilogy on its own yeah there are so many battles that take place over the course of that comic book series like that could i mean you know obviously with uh endgame and infinity wars it was a two-parter two movies secret wars can easily be a trilogy on its easily own. And, and it's also a great way for them to use the past to basically take the new stars that they're building right now and put them over. Right. Because they can take a Robert Downey Jr. or a Chris Evans to come back, have a fun little... Uh, like, like a one-off. Cameo. Yeah, a yeah, fun little cameo, fun little one-off, and then basically get a chance to put over whoever our new superstars are going to be going forward. Right, yeah. So that's going to be really interesting. I, I I don't know. There's so much that always goes on with the MCU. We always talk about the new MCU news, but it's just such an like exciting property. Even though we're 10 years into it, we're already talking about what the next 10 years are going to be. So, so I can't wait to see how yeah. these next 10 years are going to be with that. Uh, next, just on a completely different uh, avenue of news, we have The Beatles' Get Back is a film, a documentary series that's coming out. It's supposed to be just a one-off movie directed by Peter Jackson, basically taking footage from previous Beatles documentaries. He saw, I forget I forget which documentary it was, but he's like, listen, like they've been phrasing this series as this negative version of the Beatles having this, uh, like basically having their breakup. But he took all that footage, saw like the happy parts and rephrased it. And instead of releasing it in theaters, he's actually doing it as a three part, two hour episodes each uh, series that's gonna be released over Thanksgiving on Disney Plus. Oh, I'm so excited about that. Yeah. I'm not even personally the biggest fan of the Beatles. Like, before my time, I'm obviously aware of their songs, all their big hits and what have you. But over the course of the last, like, six months, I've really enjoyed um, documentaries of uh, musicians of the past and groups of the past, like Tina Turner and the Bee Gees. So, yeah, Peter Jackson, one of the greatest filmmakers of our generation, doing a project like this on the Beatles. And, you know, he's way older than us, so he obviously must have lived while the Beatles were like on top of the on top of their game, like that, I'm I'm so so about that, and it also gives something different to Disney Plus subscribers because yeah. it doesn't have to be all about you know your your Pixar and your Disney animation movies and the MCU and Star Wars offering like this adds some diversity to the, to the product. You it's know? the same thing when we got like Hamilton on there, and then I was yes. like, okay, cool, this is like a fun way to introduce new content that's not exactly MCU, Star Wars, or Disney. Yeah, so I, I love that. Uh, next, going back to it a little bit, James Gunn, <laughs> he said, obviously, he worked on Suicide Squad. That's coming out for DC very shortly. He is also working on Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which is coming out in 2023, I believe. Uh, he said that he's talked to the powers that be at both Marvel and DC about a crossover between both cinematic universes. Gunn said, I would love for it to happen. I don't think it's likely, but I don't think it's an impossibility either. You're so dark! from the DC universe. I love dubstep. First off, what are your thoughts on that? 
Okay, number one, I think that's wishful thinking. Yeah. Um, I feel like Disney and Marvel have just nailed it to such an extent that why would they give up anything? Why would they provide an offering? It, the only thing I can see, the only way I can see this ever happening, right, is almost like, and I hate to use a pro wrestling term, but we are big hardcore pro wrestling fans, is when Vince McMahon bought WCW, right? That's when he could bring everyone together, both rosters, and, mm. and have some fun with it, right? And you see what's happening in the world in terms of merger and acquisitions. We're seeing MGM um, getting bought out by Amazon. Is it within the realm of possibility, right, that a giant streaming service media conglomerate in Disney could perhaps one day buy Warner Brothers that owns the rights to DC? If that happens, if and only then could I see some crossover when they own absolutely everything. But right now, the way things currently stand, Disney would have everything to lose and absolutely nothing to gain. And personally, I don't even want to see it because I'm so happy living in the world of the MCU and there are still so many more stories to tell and so many characters to introduce. We haven't even got to the X-Men yet, for God's sakes. Yeah. Uh, in, in Marvel's creative control over how they interpret, interpret and also you know, uh, deliver these characters and stories. That No, I'm good. I'm absolutely good with that right now. I'm absolutely good right now, but I will say... so. Uh, I kind of agree with what James Gunn is saying. Would it be fun? Absolutely. I don't think it's likely, but I could easily see the idea that, like, you know, Batman could just pop up randomly in a Deadpool movie, or randomly show up in like one of these. Like, I don't know, like any kind of any kind of uh, DC EU character. Maybe a Flash might just pop up in a Deadpool movie just for a quick second. The same way they had that one scene where the X Men they're closing the door in Deadpool Two. Like, I could easily see something like that happen with the Flash where you're just running in the back of the screen where he just says, like, hey, who the fuck are you? And something like that, right? Like, it, I could see that happening. Right. When we, if we do ever see a possibility of an actual crossover between the MCU and DC, I think that's got to be, like, 20 years down the road. Like, when, MC, when the MCU has exhausted every possible storyline that they could possibly think of, that where they're at a point where they're like, all right, I think it's time we just got to start introducing something completely fresh, then I could see it possibly happening. Is this completely out of the realm of possibility? I don't think so. I think yeah. it could actually happen. I just don't see it happening in any foreseeable future. Like I said, I never say never when it comes to Hollywood and the opportunity to make money, but I am very interested and curious with regards to what happens in the world of merger and acquisitions, especially in the world of film, television, Hollywood, entertainment and streaming services there is a war going on right now and we'll see who survives the war we'll see who goes bankrupt yeah well look for example like i don't i don't want to go over it again but mgm was a, a bloody powerhouse yeah. of hollywood and they're just selling up shop and 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 putting their fee up and riding off into the sunset and letting amazon control the studio and the franchises that they own moving forwards like it is not outside the realm of possibility that something like that could happen down the road with Disney as well. Absolutely. I think even the idea that something like this, if there was like even rumblings about this on the internet, I think MCU fans would become like the TVA and they would try to protect, <laughs> they would protect yes. their sacred timeline they and would, make yes. sure there'd be no deviation where Superman could show up and fight Iron Man. You know That's what? That's not happening. Just to like, you know, theorize this a little bit more, even if Marvel or, or Disney rather did buy Warner Brothers and in effect end up owning the rights to uh, produce movies based on the DC characters and the DC comics. I don't even think they would initially do a crossover. I think they would first of all reboot every single franchise, every single character and almost do what they did with the MCU first for like a decade yeah. and then dip into some yeah, crossover absolutely. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's way too much that's, that would have to be fixed before they could even touch properties together. Yeah. The, only thing, the last thing I'll say on this topic is, once again, what a time to be alive if you're either a comic book fan or a fan of these characters that you grew up with, whether it was in the comics or animated cartoons on Saturday mornings. It's just like, as a grown adult, watching you know things that you loved as a child come to fruition at a very high level with so much money thrown at it, it's, it's a, it's a feel-good moment every time we watch any of these movies or TV shows. Really 100%. The next, uh, we got the new Transformers movie that's coming out is starring Anthony Ramos from Hamilton, from In the Heights, 
and will officially be titled Rise of the Beasts. Only reason I bring this up is the first time we talked about Transformers. Yeah. Is the film will feature Decepticons, but it also will feature Terrorcons as the main villains. Uh, only reason I am even a little bit interested in this because I fell off off any sort of fandom of Transformers. I think off the second movie. Once the second movie came out, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm good. I really did enjoy the first one, but then it just kind of got into like a place that I just couldn't keep up with. Uh, th- I grew up with Beast Wars as that my Transformer show with the CGI show from the 90s or the early 2000s, whenever it was. And so that sounds like something that I might be dipping my feet back into if they were able to produce something that would be half decent or at least fun to watch. Right. Like I, I enjoy a big blockbuster. I think the idea of Beast Wars might be something that might be fun to see on a movie uh, on the big screen. Yeah, I couldn't care less about this. I really enjoyed the first Michael Bay movie. Uh, I thought that Transformers was good because it wasn't. I mean, even for a Michael Bay movie standard, it wasn't over the top too much in your face. It kind of just tried to tick all the boxes of what I grew up with with regards to the Transformers, you know, cartoon series of the '80s. But as these other movies started to roll out, I was just like, oh, now Mark Wahlberg's getting involved. And it's just becoming like a big visual popcorn, shut your brain off for a couple of hours. Movies like that, movies like Fast and the Furious 9, 10, 11, wherever we're getting with that franchise, I'm going to watch it only because, eh, it's something to do for a few hours. Maybe I'll go to the cinema and watch it. Or in this case, maybe it'll be a streaming service situation where we just, you know, watch it at home on a big screen TV with good surround sound. Yeah. So, yeah, for that point of view, I, I, listen, I always like watching movies that have like really crazy over-the-top good special effects because I just love where special effects are headed. I, I love where special effects, especially in the last 30 years since Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park have come. Um, so from that point of view, I'll watch it. But from a storyline story perspective, from a franchise I'm getting invested into, I fell off the Transformers bandwagon a long, long time ago. It's crazy to think that this is the seventh crazy. entry into the Transformers universe. Like. I, I just completely fell off. Like, if you told me this was part seven, I have no clue what's been going on from three to six. I am still open-minded enough to, if they were to produce a quality version of it, and I think if, you know, Beast Wars has basically always been, like, something where they can kind of reset the franchise, I think that would be fun. Let's see if they are able to produce something that is, at least, like, just a fun movie. Let's check it out. I'm open to it. It is funny, though, how, like, from the first movie to the seventh movie, they've basically gone from the source material of what I enjoyed in the 80s to what you enjoyed in the early 2000s. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, you kind of alluded to it. My next uh, news story kind of talks about Fast and Furious. Okay. Uh, one piece of tea that just came out is Vin Diesel has said that his feud with The Rock started because he pushed him to be a better actor. His quote was, Hobbs was a tough character to embody. I would do anything I'd have to do in order to get performances in anything I'm producing. We're going to take Dwayne Johnson, who's associated with wrestling, and we're going to force the cinematic world. That took a lot of work. So he's basically saying that he got into this argument and this confrontation with The Rock purely because he wanted to get the best performance out of him. This is Vin Diesel talking about performances with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm not buying that at all. For, for, the, for the main reason, it, when you look at the character of Hobbs, when he's actually introduced, The Rock is just playing like an amped up version of his best self anyway. Every version of The Rock is the be- like a, just an amped up version. It's just like they're all the same character. It's just different branches on the same tree. It's just like really you know, out there, high velocity, masculinity, effing and blinding. He's just got a pump on, his his veins are busting out of his, his biceps. He's looking like a million bucks. He's looking like a badass. That's what you get. Like, you yeah. don't have to have Vin Diesel have a conversation or have an argument or a debate or a confrontation to get that performance out of the rock. That's bollocks. I think that's absolute bullshit. It's also like, what... Like- it's, it's like throwing stones in a glass house. Like, what performance can you think of Vin Diesel where it's like, wow, that was the one. Like, is it the pacifier? Is that the one where yeah. Vin Diesel, like, put on this Oscar-worthy performance that he's trying to get out of other people? Yeah. I also think this is a very smart move on Vin Diesel's part. I'm sure he was very self-aware when he gave that quote that this would get spun up and, you know, outlets and, and media would report this and, and create stories out of it. It's got us talking about Absolutely, it right now. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I totally get that. 
he basically he won in that regard. Yeah, he got, he got me us. to talk. Stop he got it. me to talk about it. Uh, but also, it's like mildly outrageous just to be like, "Come on, Vin Diesel, have some fucking perspective." Yeah. Guy. Uh, but yeah, let's get into the last section of the show. Let's get wrecked. Our weekly recommendation segment. What is Sandu's pick for this week? Okay, so I'm actually giving a couple of uh, recommendations, but they're, they're all from like the same family. Sure. Um, the first half of Dark Side of the Ring season three just finished on Vice in America. It's available on Crave. If you're in Canada, rest of the world, check your local listings. And also uh, Vice, uh, and I guess an offshoot company called Vice Versa, also produced a special documentary on China. So if you are a fan of pro wrestling, if you are a fan of good documentary work, I really recommend Dark Side of the Ring and also the documentary on the feature length documentary on China. It's uh, Some of the episodes are a little bit tough. Um, some of them actually are quite fun, uh, but I think it's important uh, not to always get the the, the rose-tinted glasses version of what the world wrestling uh, entertainment and Vincent Mann present you in any of their content, uh, and to have an independent group actually produce uh, a documentary series which is now going into the second half of season three, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get season four and season five because there's clearly great stories to, to uncover and some great investigative work to be done. Um, yeah, I, I can't recommend this enough. Yeah, a complete cosign. This is like the Dark Side of the Ring series. If you're, even when you, if you grew up with pro wrestling, just watching these episodes, it gives you such a different perspective on the people that you kind of grew up with. And it just shows like how fucked up this weird circus world of professional wrestling really is. And really what it was growing up in the 90s. Everyone always talks about like, like you said, this nostalgic tint of how like the 90s was this incredible era and then we now we're getting this backstory about how this person was like addicted to drugs and this person will have this injury and this person committed suicide and it's always these messed up stories that we hear now that really dampers our perspective of what we kind of grew up with from the world of pro wrestling uh on a completely other side of uh the, the, the entertainment spectrum uh my recommendation bra's pick is bo burnham inside it's a comedy special that was completely filmed inside Bo Burnham's house, right? It's, he, he, he started at the beginning of COVID, at the beginning of the pandemic. It's very meta. It's very self-referential. It's like, the, it's like watching somebody fall into madness in the pandemic. It, it, I think it's the encapsulation of everything that you felt that was fucked up in the pandemic. When we go back and we talk about, hey, so what was the pandemic like? What was... Like, you know, how, how do you people feel about it? Because I'm sure it's going to be something that's written about extensively in history books because it's the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. And people are going to look back at it. And if there's going to be any artistic representation of what happened in the pandemic, this is it. Bo Burnham inside. It's hilarious. It's heartfelt. And it's actually really like, it's just a funny special. It, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful revelation of just an experience that we all went through kind of together, but separate but we went through this madness and this is the exclamation point at the end of everything where we're finally seeing a silver lining with everything kind of coming to a close with the pandemic. Nice. Uh, but yeah, that's everything for this week. Jump the work, everybody find us. Okay, we are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And for those of you that do listen to us on Apple, please do us a favor, rate and review us. When you do that, it actually helps us and it helps the show get found by a new audience. So that's how the Apple podcast algorithm works. So if you can do that, that'd be much appreciated. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.